Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. Okay. It is... God! 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 To be the man! You gotta beat the man! The 2-1. Swan Lane drive left hand! Water on his end! This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. Welcome to the Powers on Sports Podcast. Hope your 4th of July weekend went very well. Hope you guys had a little off time, got to have a little, spend a little time with the family and friends, a little cooking out maybe, maybe a little trip to the water, the beach, the lake, or wherever you may be living and listening to the podcast. We appreciate you finding us. Got a good episode for you this week. We're going to talk a little Baker Mayfield. He's finally been traded. Got Wimbledon wrapping up this weekend. We got an excellent semifinal, Kyrgios and Nadal, we're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk also about Brittany Griner. She is, there's some developments in her case over in Russia as we head into the weekend. And We are also going to hit on all the conference realignment stuff that's going on throughout college football. USC, UCLA to the Big Ten. What's the fate of the Pac-12? Who is the SEC and Pac-Big Ten targeting potentially for the next teams to move to their super conferences and the state of college athletics in general? And we're going to talk to Matt Zemeck. He is the editor of USA Today's Trojan Wire. Does a great job on all things college football, but Matt is is exclusively the, covers USC, so we're going to get a great perspective from Matt, uh, from out uh, his way, talking all things conference realignment. We're also going to hit with Matt, we're going to talk about KD, is he going to Phoenix, Where's what's the most logical place for him to go, and uh, might even talk a little Joey, Joey Chestnut in the hot dog eating contest, Nathan's hot dog eating contest from back on the 4th of July. So we'll talk to Matt in just a few minutes, but before we get to Matt, I want to give you a few thoughts on a couple of things. First, Baker Mayfield had been traded to the Carolina Panthers from the Cleveland Browns for a conditional fifth-round draft pick. They've split up the money that he's owed and all that good stuff. Carolina, I think, is going to pay four or five million bucks of his, of his salary this year. But for if you're Mayfield, this is probably the best of the worst that can happen for you. One, you you weren't going to Seattle. I, I don't think Seattle's in the market for trying to win games this year. I really think they're going to be in a full rebuild this year. Uh, I think they they got their eye on the quarterbacks next year in the draft. You got Bryce Young potentially. You got C.J. Stroud. You got a pretty good quarterback, pretty strong quarterback class next year coming out in the draft. I do not think they want to go. Uh, they they want to do bring in Baker Mayfield and potentially win six or seven games um, if he played well to avoid being in that top two or three in the draft. I think that's where Seattle wants to be. And I think they're, they're, they're making these moves. They're not making moves to almost guarantee themselves to be in the top two or three in the draft. Um, You know, they've really gutted their team with getting rid of Russell Wilson and company. A lot of the older guys are gone full youth movement in Seattle. So I don't think Baker would have been a good fit in Seattle anyway. Carolina, you're going to Matt Rule. The reason I think this is potentially a decent move for Baker is Matt Rule's desperate this year. He really needs to show some progress with the new owner, David Tepper. Um, they've got some decent weapons in Carolina. You got uh, you got a couple of decent wide receivers. You got Christian McCaffrey. The defense actually was not bad last year. They gave the, the you know, for example, they gave the Buccaneers some problems. Uh, their defense wasn't bad. It is year three of Matt Rule, so you'd think this would be the year defensively everybody's going to get on the same page. Offensively, you got a new offensive coordinator, Ben McAdoo. Uh, they've seen Sam Darnold in the building long enough to know what he is. Um, I think it'll be a healthy competition in training camp. I do think Baker will get the uh, get a substantial opportunity in Carolina. Uh, 
Remember this, week one, Carolina-Cleveland on the schedule. So you would think there'd be all the motivation in the world for Baker to, to, to get into Carolina quickly, pick up the offense, be ready in training camp, and do, do what he needs to do. So Because week one, the Cleveland Browns come a-calling. Uh, so that will be some uh, that will be some good TV and some good drama there. Um, speaking of the Cleveland Browns, no 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 new news yet on Deshaun Watson. We're st- still waiting from the judge or from Goodell and company to bring down the hammer of what the suspension is going to be. Uh, again, I think it's going to be at least a year. I think he should get if he's going if you're going to suspend him for a year, he should get a year and a half because again, I think the way. Cleveland manipulated that salary cap in the contract to where he's only going to be uh, lose a million dollars this year due to that, due to their anticipation of him being suspended. I think that's kind of bush league. So I think if you're the NFL, you give him more than a year to where he he feels some of that uh, that money in year two uh, suspension. So uh, that's you know it'd be interesting to see what Cleveland does at quarterback if they do anything at all. Remember they have Jacoby Brissett as their backup. Does Jimmy Garoppolo be, get in the mix here? Remember, Garoppolo only has one more year on his deal. So if he's, if, if uh, Deshaun Watson gets suspended for a year, do you bring in uh, do you bring in Garoppolo from the 49ers for a one year as a one year rental, or are you going to go with Jacoby Brissett? Be very interesting to see what happens. Uh, I could definitely see a scenario if he gets suspended for a year that you bring in Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, Rent him for the year from the 49ers. He's not going to be the guy in San Francisco. They are going with Trey Lance. Um, so it be, will be interesting to see where Jimmy G ends up. Um, point number two, topic number two. Brittany Griner pleads guilty in a Russian court uh, late this week. She pleads guilty. I think that that is probably more for the timeliness of something getting done because I don't think there... If there was gonna be, if there's gonna be any kind of um, prisoner exchange, I know there's all the talk of there being a prisoner exchange. The Russians are apparently trying to get, want to get one of, one of their guys out of the American prisons, who's got a very long history of trading arms and, and missiles and all that kind of stuff. Um, they want him back in Russia, and he's sitting in, a, in an American prison. I think he's the one of the he's the guy that they want to be in an exchange for somebody. So if, if if Brittany Griner gets in the gets uh, for her to be eligible for an exchange or a prisoner swap of some sort, they had to conclude this trial. She pleaded guilty. You know, ninety nine percent of people in Russian uh, courthouses get convicted anyway, whether it's um, right or not. They get convicted. So maybe this was more of a formality than anything else. But she did plead guilty. To drug charges that she had uh, the vape in her luggage and all that stuff. Maybe this again. I think this is probably more of a uh, move to expedite things. If something's going to get expedited, uh, she wasn't going to win in, in Russian Russian prison anyway. So no no need to uh, you know prolong the the, the uh, any kind of court case because she wasn't going to win anyway. So it will be very interesting to see what the Biden administration does here. Um, you know, I know she's a, I know she's a well-known name, but we have other people sitting in prisons and other in, in Russia and other parts of the world as well, similar circumstances. And there hasn't been a deal made with those, with those governments either. So it'd be very interesting to see what happens here. How long uh, does it take to get a deal done? If, if a deal gets done at all with Brittany Griner. So a uh, terrible situation, but again, it just goes to show you, you know, what do you if you're Brittany Griner and you're and you were playing in Rush and heading home? What are you doing with anything nefarious in your luggage? Whether it was vapes, whether it was whatever, what are you doing putting yourself in a situation where anybody could detain you for something like that to begin with? But don't you know? Um, hope I don't I don't I don't know all the facts, but if she at all was guilty of of trying to of having vapes in her luggage. I mean, it's just you just have to know better when you're in these other in these in these uh, these other countries where there's no democracy. So, but hopefully Brittany Griner gets home soon. Um, again, lots of public uh, sentiment here in the last couple of weeks. You've seen 
lots of stuff involving her wife, you know, rallies, that kind of stuff among other athletes. So hopefully Brittany Griner does get home here in, in short order and all that stuff. Last point, we're going to hit Wimbledon. Wimbledon's wrapping up this weekend. You got uh, some drama on the men's side. You have a semifinal. You have Djokovic in the semifinals versus a Brit, Cameron Norrie. And you also have the highlight, the, the star-studded semifinal, Nadal Kyrgios. Nadal somehow, someway escapes out of the quarterfinals against Taylor Fritz in a fifth-set tiebreaker. Nadal was injured early in the second set. Apparently, he was a little bit injured coming into the match. Uh, Nadal finds a way to get through with his gut and his grit. Just a tremendous performance. I was watching the match, and after the second set, he was in tough shape. I thought he was done, but somehow, some way, he gets through the match. Now, now he's up against Kyrgios, who's the hottest guy in the tournament. The big server from Australia, Mercurial, uh, lunatic on the court, antics and such. You remember this, the the match versus Sipsipas. He went he and sips a pass, went at it, all kind of stuff. Kyrgios is very talented, has all the potential in the world to be a top five player, but his mental uh, mental uh, fortitude and his mental uh, acuity is is very much in question whether he can hold it together. My only question with Nadal is is physically, if it was a if, if Nadal was not injured, I would give Nadal the advantage. I do think Kyrgios has a great chance here. <clears throat> Because I do think Nadal will be compromised to some degree. I think uh, Kyrgios' big serve will be a major factor here. And his, and his ground stroke game is better than you think it is. So uh, I would almost love to see a Kyrgios-Djokovic final. Um, Kyrgios is a guy that you kind of want to root for. Even though he, he does a lot of goofy things on the court. And a lot of disrespectful things. He's a guy with so much talent. You'd love to see him in a, in a final. Just to see if he could professionally figure out a way to get through it and win a major championship. Grass is his dominant surface where he'll have his best chance to win. So again, Wimbledon would be the place you would see him winning if he's going to win. So it'll be very interesting to see Kyrgios Nadal Friday center court Wimbledon um, with, a, with a potential Djokovic breakfast at Wimbledon final on Sunday morning. So be very interesting to see how that goes on the women's side. Um, Lot, all the big stars were upset. Serena gone, uh, Swiatek gone. Uh, so you're gonna have a hodgepodge of a, of a, of a women's final. So it'll be interesting to see who comes out of that uh, mix as well. But uh, been very, it's been a very entertaining Wimbledon uh, from my perspective. I've watched a decent amount of it. A lot of great matches. Uh, I watched some doubles matches that were fantastic. I just love watching Wimbledon, to be honest with you, because I remember back in the day, uh, back when I was probably a teenager, Boris Becker made his unbelievable run as a 17-year-old, you know, watching McEnroe, watching Agassi, Sampras, all those guys back in the back in the 80s, in the 90s. Um, but uh, Wimbledon's been always been a great event for me to watch. Love watching it on TV. So. There you have some news and notes from around the sports world. Again, coming up next will be Matt Zemek, USA Today, Trojan Wire, talking about all things conference realignments. Uh, who's who's next on the hit list? What's the fate of the Big the Pac-12, Big 12, ACC? And who's the SEC and Big 10 looking at next? So Matt Zemek will be up in just a minute. We'll be right back. We'll be back to the podcast in just a moment. Now a word from Titan Home Lending. If you, need to, if you are in the house purchasing business this year, this summer, reach out to Titan Home Lending to get pre-approved. You need to be pre-approved before you start house hunting with your realtor, before you can make an offer. All sellers are going to want to know that you're pre-approved. So reach out to Titan Home Lending so you can figure out how much house you can afford based on your financial situation. FHA, VA, conventional, jumbo, if you're self-employed, we can do non-QM type loans. If you're a business owner and such, if your credit score is not great, we do have options for you as well. So definitely reach out to Titan Home Lending anywhere in the state of Florida that you're looking for a home from Key West to Pensacola to Jacksonville to anywhere in between. Titan Home Lending, 205 790 1404. You can search us online 
at Titan Home Lending. We can help you get approved for your home mortgage and we'll definitely get you a very good interest rate to match along with it. So Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404 and ask for Jason Powers. All right, welcome back to the Powers on Sports podcast. It's 4th of July week. We're actually recording this interview actually on the 4th of July and we are going to talk, uh, we're going to get into all things conference realignment. Obviously, the huge news last week of UCLA, U- USC heading from the West Coast to the Midwest to join the Big Ten Conference. And no better person to talk all things USC with than the USA Today Trojan Wire editor, the one, the only, the 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 4th of July, the Joey Chestnut edition of 63 Hot Dogs. Apparently, Matt just told me he was playing injured with a bum leg. Welcome back, Matt Zemek. Well, USC is going to be able to pay for a lot of hot dogs. Let's, let's, uh, we can be clear on that after this move. And uh, I think, you know, obviously a million different angles to discuss in all of this. But one thing is that, you know, if you're thinking that like, USC betrayed the Pac-12 or USC and UCLA are responsible for the the possible death of the Pac-12, you know, if Oregon and Washington leave the Big Ten, that could be the death knell for the Pac-12. Or if Oregon and Washington do leave, maybe the conference still survives as a glorified Mountain West. Maybe Stanford and Cal stay. You add San Diego State and Boise State, and the conference is basically a glorified Mountain West, which still has the Olympic sports. Anyway, in terms of assessing blame for the possible death and obviously the clear diminishment of the Pac-12. It will never be as strong without USC football. Um, There's only one person responsible for this. It's Larry Scott. No one else. It's not USC President Carol Fultz. It's not USC Athletic Director Mike Bone. It's not Lincoln Riley. It is Larry Scott. And, And one thing that John Wilner, you know, the excellent journalist for the San Jose Mercury News and the Wilner Hotline, the guy who broke this story on Thursday morning, one thing he has been very clear to emphasize in all of this, Jason, and people who are listening in on the Power, Powers on Sports podcast, is that a few years ago, there was a chance for Larry Scott to just hand over the keys to ESPN. ESPN could manage the Pac-12 networks, manage the Pac-12 inventory. There was a, there was a direct and clear chance for uh, Larry Scott to give ESPN control because when the Pac-12 networks were formed uh, r- uh, roughly a decade ago, the selling point among Pac-12 presidents and chancellors was that the Pac-12 was controlling the network. So like it, it controlled its own product. So every dollar generated by the Pac-12 networks when they were created went back to the conference. So there wasn't a middleman. There wasn't an ESPN. There wasn't Fox. There wasn't CBS. It was everything was controlled and therefore all the revenue stayed within the Pac-12. That was the original concept. And 10 years ago, it made sense. You know, why, why cut in ESPN on the deal when you could keep all the loot yourself? But of course, that was before the direct TV snag. That was before, you know, Scott fa- failed to make Pac-12 network more widely accessible uh, across all platforms. But in terms of the original genesis, the original concept, a decade ago, why not? Why not try to you know, keep it self-contained, kind of like with what Notre Dame has. You know, Notre Dame keeps every TV dollar for itself. Now, obviously, Notre Dame's in a different league compared to the Pac-12, but nevertheless, it was worth it for the Pac-12 to try that. Uh, you know, it had the direct TV part of the piece with Pac-12 networks worked out better, you know, maybe then schools would have made a lot more money, but Larry Scott needed to bring home the direct TV deal, and he failed. The concept wasn't really bad. But anyway, in 2018, 2019, as Wilner and other Pac-12 industry insiders have said, there was a new chance several years into the Pac-12 network uh, arrangement for the the conference to say, you know what, we tried it on on our own, we tried it by ourselves, but now we need to hand over the keys to ESPN and, and take that month, take that money, uh, but give ESPN control because we're seeing the landscape changing. We're seeing how much ESPN and Fox control the chessboard. So if we want to stay solidly intact, safe, you know, secure from any outside interventions or forces, we need to now 
admit that you know the, the time to do it on our on our own is over and we need to let ESPN enter into this. So if Larry Scott had relented, which he obviously should have, and had given the keys to ESPN four years ago, the Pac-12 would still have USC and UCLA. The Pac-12 would still be fully intact. So Larry Scott just made horrible decisions. I think at the very beginning of his tenure, which was over a decade ago, you know, he tried to bring Texas and Oklahoma into yep. a Pac-16. That was a good idea, and the president shut it down. Texas also got cold feet. That's obviously another part of this. But the presidents in the Pac-12 shot it down. And so at the very beginning, Larry Scott was the visionary guy with the bold ideas who was trying to change the game. But then Larry Scott did not adjust as his tenure uh, moved along. And he really needed to see how the winds were blowing. He needed to see that, you know what, I need to let ESPN take a cut. Uh, of, of revenue in exchange for the long-term stability of the Pac-12. He didn't make that choice. That's why we are where we are today. All right, a couple of the nuts and bolts things that the that the average viewer, maybe if they're not as dialed into the Pac-12, you know, behind the scenes stuff. One, I heard I heard a number of that USC UCLA was getting around $30 million a year in TV money. Is that it, currently? What, what is the kind of the breakdown of current before they made the move? Kind of what was the breakdown of what each school in the Pac-12 was getting part of their as part of their TV deal? In terms of the ballpark figure, that's pretty close to it. I think it might might actually be 25 million okay. a year, but uh yeah, it's somewhere around there, you know, just and, a few million. So like they're now poised, they're now poised to pull in a hundred million a year. I was gonna so, say currently so, big you know, big 10 teams are getting around 75 million currently and it's probably going to jump to about 100 yes. million when they, when they renegotiate the rights deal obviously now that you're going to have usc ucla the price just goes up a little bit higher that's right so hey you know, like if you're if you're usc or ucla and fox sports basically says here's 75 million dollars a year are you let's be serious are you really going to turn that down right Would anyone in the position of usc's administration or ucla's administration turn that down let's just briefly for a brief moment let's look at ucla for just a brief second ucla is in massive debt you at ucla has had significant debt problems like the us ucla has been hemorrhaging cash and ucla is public whereas usc is private so like usc is in a much better financial position than ucla in terms of ucla you're desperate to get rivers and rivers of money Right. So like it was an absolute no brainer for UCLA, but then, but even with USC, Fox is just saying, Hey, here, here's $75 million a year. No one would turn that down. And we just have to emphasize that if Larry Scott had made good decisions, if the PAC 12 had not fallen significantly behind the big 10 in terms of annual revenue, if that gap had not increased, right. Um, then the, the, the incentives would be different for USC and UCLA. Right. So again, Larry Scott created the situation. If he had partnered with ESPN a few years ago, which he had the chance to do, you wouldn't see this grand Canyon size gap in revenue. Now Pac-12 wouldn't be on the same plane as the big 10, but it would be a lot closer, a lot closer. You right. wouldn't have this 25 to $30 million a year, valuation it would probably be somewhere in the area of like 55 or 60 million right something that usc and ucla could definitely live with their their ledger sheet would be dramatically different yeah and and it wouldn't be they wouldn't be taking the step right because this this is introducing a whole set of complications for usc and ucla also for the big 10 uh, you know, it, I was surprised that this move was in all sports, except except beach volleyball. <laughs> That's the one exception. But all the other Olympic sports, I was really surprised. I thought this would be just a football and basketball move. You're really going to ask all these Olympic sport right. athletes to travel to Big Ten locations for, for competitions? That That's not what those Olympic uh, athletes signed up for. They wanted to compete out on the West Coast. They wanted to go to the Bay Area, to Eugene, to Seattle. They they didn't Arizona. sign up for this, yep. yeah. So so if boy, if you're inviting this kind of logistical uh, headache, you know, I mean, you, it better be for an absolute truckload of cash. But it, right. it also brings up just the the sense of dissatisfaction USC and UCLA obviously felt to be willing to take on that logistical nightmare. Yep. 
uh, you know, th they feel it's worth it, you know, to get these mountains and mountains and mountains of cash. The, 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 well, the speculation was everything was hunky-dory the last couple of months with the new Pac-12 commissioner that they had a kind of a gentleman's agreement that they were going to stay. What changed in the last month or so, or, or is it just UCLA and USC kind of playing their, playing their cards close to the vest and then just pulling the ripcord and getting out? I mean, what, because you heard reports that everybody was on board, new contract coming hopefully with Fox here in the, in the, in the new negotiation period coming up that everybody, USC and UCLA were okay staying. What changed in the last couple of months, especially with your new commissioner out there? Yeah, so a couple of things here. First off, just the fact that Big Ten media rights negotiations were ongoing, and if you know if, if they were working toward their conclusion, uh, and so at UC, USC and UCLA, I'm sure there was a sense of urgency. Whoa! Before these media rights negotiations between Fox and the Big Ten conclude, we better get in on this because what if these negotiations conclude? And then, you know, the Pac-12's media rights negotiations were set to occur next year, right? but only after the Big Ten finished. Like the Pac-12 was in a next in line position. It could not negotiate concurrently uh, with the Big Ten. The Big right. Ten got, got its media round first, right. and then the Pac-12 was going to have its chance. So, so there was mounting urgency on that front. But the other thing is, as John Canzano, the other really great Pac-12 journalist, He's based in Portland. Uh, he's also a radio host in Portland. But he reported that George Klyavkov did not make an offer to USC and UCLA for an, an extra cut of, of media rights. Right. Now, now, Canzano himself said, I doubt this would have mattered. I doubt this would have affected the larger state of play. U, U, USC probably would have taken the Big Ten cash regardless. But if you are George Klyavkov, and I think he's done a really good job in his first year, but this was clearly a mistake. You at least have to make an offer to USC and UCLA about getting an extra cut. And we've seen, Jason, we've seen over the past few days, all the revelations about media rights value. Uh, you know, we've seen industry insiders say that, you know what, Oregon's and Washington's media rights value, you know, for football aren't nearly as as big as what many people expected that the big 10 you know might might not really view the media rights piece for oregon and washington as something which you know makes it a no-brainer to invite the ducks and the huskies into the conference here's another whopper you might really be surprised about this Kanzano talked to a former fox uh and uh insider not a not a current fox employee but a former one this former Fox executive told him that Stanford's media rights value is 45 million, Oregon's is 30. Wow. Now that blew me away. That's crazy. I, wow. I can't believe that. But but that's what a former Fox executive told John Canzano that Stanford would actually bring more to the table than Oregon would. So a lot of these uh, assumptions about media rights value uh, in, in the Pac-12 like that's the kind of thing that George Klyavkov needs to know about. And it's the thing that he needs to uh, operate on uh, when he's, you know, trying to manage relationships with the various schools. So we've seen, it, it's just a fact in terms of what the big 10 value uh, and what the big 10 is able to put together in media rights negotiations. We've seen that the big 10 has identified USC as significantly more valuable than Oregon. Sure, with the LA so, market. LA and market, so, absolutely. And so it might have hurt a lot of feelings throughout the Pac-12 and the various right. uh, presidents and chancellors. But if you have one particularly valuable property, it's the same for the Big 12 with Oklahoma and Texas. If you have one or two really valuable properties, you need to give them more money if you want right. the conference to stay together. And you need to sell the other conference members on the value of making the king happy right. uh, so that everyone stays together. And if, and, and George Klyavkov by, now again, he might not have been able to, to save this because Larry Scott obviously put right. the Pac-12 in such a bad position. But if you're Klyavkov, you have to at least make an offer to USC, uh, giving them an extra cut of revenue, not doing that as a clear mistake on his part. One of the few significant mistakes that Klyavkov made in his first year as Pac-12 commissioner. 
What does the Pac-12 do next? There's talk out there that potentially a Pac-12, Big 12 merger. Maybe you bring five or six of the big teams from the Big 12, combined with Oregon, Washington, the Arizona schools, Colorado, to make a kind of a, 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 a Southwest, Outwest kind of mega conference. Do you see that as a possibility, a Pac-12, Big 12 merger of some sort? Yeah, so so many things are in play here, and it's fascinating to sort through the different possibilities. Um, there are reports, it's, it's pretty much rumor at this point, but I mean, it's rumor that, you know, makes sense logically that the Big 12 could make a play for the Arizona schools, Colorado, and Utah. Now, Colorado in particular makes all the sense in the world because Colorado right. used to be in the Big 12. Right. So Colorado could just go back to the Big 12, uh, play in a, a region of the country where it can right. travel, the geography fit but then where would utah go like you so utah becomes really intriguing and if you're utah like do you try to stay in the pac-12 do you try to make the move early to the big 12 and find that early lifeboat or do you hold out hope that if you make the college football playoff this year maybe your football brand is so valuable that you can go all the way to the big 10 utah utah faces a really interesting set of choices now the arizona schools like the big 12 makes sense for them in ways that the West Coast Pac-12 schools don't, because you're in a you're in a much redder state. The cultural and institutional uh, fits right. are better than than you know. Like it's been known for quite some time that like the schools based in the Bay Area and Oregon and Seattle merging with the Big 12 that's a, that's such a bad cultural right. and institutional fit. But the Arizona schools, you know, like they can be the exception in the Pac-12. So how, how those pieces of puzzle fit together, it's gonna to be fascinating. The other part here is, you know, what does Stanford think? Uh, what does Stanford right. really want to do? Because Stanford has just seen USC and UCLA send not just its football programs, but all but its Olympic sports right. to the Big 10. Do Stanford and Cal, also Cal Berkeley athletes want to be part of that? You know, and so Stanford might, uh, you know, think that, you know, the prestige of being in the Big Ten, the prestige of its football program uh, is worth making a play for the Big Ten. But Stanford could also say, and I think this is very possible, you know what, we have our huge endowment, right. we're, we're, we want to stick with our Olympic sports, we want to keep right. those athletes happy, we want to keep those programs rooted in the West, traveling in the West. Um, and so what's Stanford really thinking? That, that's really important because, as I alluded to earlier, you know, if Oregon and Washington leave for the Big Ten, Stanford really becomes the central player in the Pac-12 and whether yes. the conference survives in any yes. form or completely splinters. If Stanford wants the, the Big Ten cash and the football prestige, then the Pac-12 is dead. The, the, I, you know, Oregon and, Oregon and Washington obviously are important for the Pac-12 survival, but I think in many ways Stanford is the, cent, the central piece. Yep. Because if Oregon and Washington lose, it's Stanford, which will decide whether we want to form a glorified Mountain West but with a robust Olympic sports presence or if we should just all blow it up. And maybe Stanford becomes independent. That, that is something which has been uh, whispered around here. So in many ways, what is Stanford thinking? What, is, what are Stanford's goals? What does Stanford want out of all of this? Stanford has resources. Like it doesn't. Like Stanford doesn't need an Correct. extra dollar the way UCLA Correct. did or the Correct. way or the way USC did. So it, Stanford is really, uh, I think, a, a central point in terms of how that Pac-12, Big 12 uh, puzzle uh, shapes up. It, it's going to be fascinating to see. And the other thing we need to keep in mind with the Pac-12 and Big 12, ESPN has to give its blessing. ESPN is, you know, obviously looking at what Fox is doing in the Big 10 and ESPN yeah. has to see what's attainable, what's realistic. And of course, you know that ESPN is thinking about, oh, what if we can bring Clemson and Miami and to the, Florida State to the, to the SEC? SEC? Right. Yeah. And so, you know, so what's ESPN's view of the chessboard and what's what's realistic uh, that, that, you know, that's in the background. And ESPN has to bless, give its approval of a Pac-12 Big 12 merger in order for that to happen. And the two words that could ultimately dictate the future of the Pac-12 and the in, in Oregon and Washington, the two words, Notre Dame. If the, if the Big Ten gets Notre Dame, they might not need, feel the need to have to go get Oregon and Washington. But if they don't get Notre Dame, 
Maybe Oregon, Washington is the fallback for the Big Ten to combine them with the other with USC, UCLA. So you have a little more West Coast presence. The travel's not quite as bad because of the, the combinations. But Notre Dame, I think, will play a big piece in kind of the 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 the, the status of both Stanford, you know, Stanford, Oregon, and Washington. I think Notre Dame plays a big role in that. It's really interesting, Jason, that you bring this up. And obviously, this is the first domino. You know, what does Notre Dame decide? Then, then you're going to see more movement after Notre Dame makes its decision. But one thing that really intrigued me is that uh, John Wellner made the point over the weekend that if Notre Dame goes to the Big Ten, that might actually help Oregon and Washington. Now, like that cuts against, I think, the conventional wisdom which emerged in the first 24 hours after UCLA's move to the Big Ten. But the line of argument from, from uh, Wilner is that if Notre Dame does join the Big Ten, that means that the Big Ten is on the road to you know, a mega conference, mega conference meaning 20 or more right. members, and that you will need to add more travel partners, you'll need to add more geographical diversity to the conference if Notre Dame's part of the picture. And obviously you'll want more schools to travel to and from Notre Dame Right. Uh, to, to build to build that brand. But yeah, my line of thought was that if Notre Dame joins the Big Ten, that would be a, an impediment to Oregon and Washington joining the conference. So it's really fascinating to see that Notre Dame might create more uh, Big Ten membership. It might not halt more Big Ten membership. And you know, I, I don't I don't know which way that's going to go, but it's fascinating to see that this could work in different ways uh, from, from different vantage points. Uh, just speaking solely about Notre Dame, my opinion has been and still is that Notre Dame does not need to join a conference. And I don't, I don't see Notre Dame doing this because if you think about it, if no Notre Dame was given a chance to join the Big Ten several years ago, like the, the Big Ten's just ha had an open standing oh, yeah. offer. Absolutely. You're welcome to join anytime you want. So if Notre Dame wasn't willing to split a revenue pie with 13 or 14 other members, why would Notre Dame split a revenue pie with 16 or 17 other members? Right. That doesn't, doesn't make sense. And some people are saying, oh, Notre Dame has to find a lifeboat. Notre Dame has to shop itself around. I don't, I don't understand that. What, like Notre Dame has an exclusive TV deal with NBC. And Notre Dame, you know, Notre Dame could continue to leverage that deal with NBC where it keeps all the loot. I, I don't I do not get the argument for why Notre Dame has to now suddenly find a conference partner. I mean, Notre Dame has been yeah, Notre Dame has had so many chances, and I don't see why the calculus is meaningfully different for the Irish this time. So and, and it could be that, you know, maybe with all the shifting winds that Notre Dame finally thinks, you know what, this is the time Big Ten makes geographical sense. So it's possible but until proven otherwise, I think that Notre Dame, it really believes in independence. It really likes independence. I, like, I haven't really seen anything to say, whoa, this, this really changes the game. Notre Dame has to get off the dime. I'm not seeing. I, I just don't get that part of the national conversation. Great insight. Matt Zemick, editor, USA Today, Trojan Wire, talking all things Pac-12, USC, UCLA to the Big Ten. Want to transition to a couple other things, a couple other things before we get you out of here. You're based out in Phoenix. What are the what's the chatter with Kevin Durant potentially coming to Phoenix? A lot of chatter that he wants Phoenix, Miami, potentially are his two landing spots that he'd really like to, to explore, potentially Golden State as well. But what are your thoughts? What's the chatter out there with KD potentially going to Phoenix, potentially with a DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Bridges, and some assets going back to Brooklyn? That's the only thing people are talking about in this town right now, because, you know, they know that the Cardinals fall apart in December under Cliff Kingsbury. The, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the Diamondbacks and Coyotes aren't worth talking about. And of course, ASU football is in the gutter under Herm Edwards with NCAA sanctions awaiting. So like this is the sports topic in Phoenix 24 seven. And I mean, let, let's be honest, after seeing how the team imploded in game seven, Right. against the Mavericks um, you know like this is this is the obvious answer this is the obvious solution that you get a big dog like Kevin Durant who first off isn't going to allow an implosion like that to happen but secondly because of his ability 
to stretch the floor. You know, imagine what that does for Devin Booker and Chris Paul to be able to, to attack the basket. You know, it, it would just be an amazing transformation of what's already a good offense. Right. And it would become absolutely dynamic uh, in so many different ways. And it would obviously elevate the Suns from, you know, one of several Western Conference contenders to pretty clearly the best team yeah, in, in the Western Conference. Well, you know, so, I mean, you know, we never got to see the Suns play the Warriors in the West Finals. But, you know, when you look at how limited the Dallas Mavericks were, it was such an indictment of the Suns. Like, what? wait, you lost to this team, you know, when, when Golden State just easily mopped up the Mavericks right. in five games. But had the Suns played the Warriors, you know, that probably was going to be a long series. That probably was going to be uh, a six or seven game series, precisely because DeAndre Ayton uh, was going to provide matchup problems uh, for the Warriors yeah. that did not exist with Dallas. Dallas did not have the low post hammer uh, to, to uh, you know, to, 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 uh, give the Warriors problems right inside, but Phoenix did. So that was going to be a tough matchup. So I think that Durant to Phoenix would make the Suns number one uh, in the West and not just number one in a regular season, but, you know, you put the Suns with Durant up against uh, the Warriors with Booker uh, next year. I would, I would give the advantage to the Suns with Durant on the court and the advantages uh, that he brings to that roster. So obviously if you're the Suns, you do whatever it takes. I, I think it's pretty clear. You, you you give up the other assets, you give up the other pieces yep. uh, to bring Durant to the Valley. You want that NBA championship. And you, you know, you're not, it's not as though you have Chris Paul for much longer. You right. know, that body is limited. And, and one of the things, you know, we, we see how that body breaks down at playoff time repeatedly. So one of the, one of the other things about bringing in Kevin Durant, Jason, is that if you have him, you can play Kevin Durant and Devin Booker for extended minutes during the regular season. And you sit Chris Paul right. during those minutes so that Chris Paul just has to play 20 minutes a game in the regular season so that he is supremely fresh. You cannot play Chris Paul 30, 35 minutes on a regular basis during the regular season. You basically give him kind of like a, a half vacation for the six months so that he has an absolutely full fuel tank in late April. Right. And so getting Kevin Durant provides the ability for the Suns to just use Chris Paul at that lower minimal level. It really enables them to, instead of playing the regular season all out, it enables them to go at half speed in the regular season. Maybe you don't even get the number one seed. We've, we've seen how that doesn't matter. The Warriors were a three seed. The yep. Celtics were not the number one seed in the East. You know, we should have learned this from the 2016 Golden State Warriors when they won 73 games. They were absolutely spent at the very end, and LeBron was able to catch them in the finals. So the Suns can just play the regular season at half speed, cruise into a number two or number three seed, and then you have a full-strength Chris Paul for the playoffs with Booker, with Durant, and then you can go win the first NBA championship, which everyone in this town so desperately wants. All right, last thing I'll get you out of here. We're both tennis fans. This is Wimbledon. We're in the right, in the, right in the middle of Wimbledon. We're getting down to about the quarter, round of 16 quarterfinals for both the men and the women. I want to talk about Nick Kyrgios. What a what a what a dichotomy of 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 stuff. O uber talented. Mentally, we're not sure where he's at. He, you know, I know he's had some mental health issues over the years. You know, not a lot of there's been very a lot of accusations of his effort level, his physical conditioning, all that stuff. Kyrgios is making a big run here into the quarterfinals. He had a very, uh, very uh, wild match the other day with Sipsipas, where there's a lot of a lot of different stuff going on between the players during the match, code violations, all this kind of stuff. Talk to me about Kyrgios and in, 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 in Wimbledon in general. Well, you know, the, the reality of the situation hasn't changed for Nick Kyrgios that, you know, in terms of year round results, he's never going to reach the next level uh, as long as he doesn't, you know, tend to his body, as long as he doesn't put in the hard work in terms of physical fitness. But that's the year round question in terms of 
being able to win one tournament, one tournament of real significance, it has always been Wimbledon because on the grass of Wimbledon, which supremely rewards a big serve and a big game, like that was always the one tournament where Kyrgios could come off the street, just serve like a demon for two weeks and make a real run at the title. So that's what we're seeing here. And of course, once he got past Tsitsipas, you know, Nakashima and now Garen uh, in the quarters. So like, that's a dream draw. That's as good a draw as he possibly could have hoped for. And, you know, we're on this collision course likely with Rafael Nadal in the semifinals. And so can he, can he get past Rafa? And, you know, Rafa, he's dealing with the foot problems. He spilled every last ounce of energy he had to win uh, the French open. Right. So like Kyrgios has a real shot in that match. And, and, and so the idea of Kyrgios making the final, it's not absurd at all because of the draw, because of Nadal's uh, physical condition. Like it's, it's really right there for Kyrgios. I mean, he's a pure showman. He's a bad boy. Uh, you know, he provides maximum entertainment value in great theater. Uh, just the main thing is that for, for fans is that we need to separate what he can do at Wimbledon with how he fares, you know, on right. a year, on a weekly, week for a monthly week basis, basis right. in terms of the whole tour, the whole tour, not a factor, but at Wimbledon, he can be a factor. And this is his one chance. Like some of the other grass court specialists of years past, like Richard Krychek, Goran Ivanisevic, they weren't good at the other three majors, but they were good at Wimbledon. That, that's right. kind of where Nick Kyrgios fits in the larger puzzle of men's tennis. The, and the, 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 not the, it's not sad, but it's, it's, it's disappointing as fans of tennis. He could be the personality of all personalities on the, on the tour. If he would just settle down a little bit when it comes to his, his antics and all his stuff off the court and even in-match stuff that he does, because his, his talent level is very good. He's a top 10 he's player. Insanely, he's insanely talented. Yes. I mean, ground stroke wise, he's a good hitter of the ball. He showed some real grit today when he beat Nakashima in the fifth set, you know, going five sets. I mean, he's got more than just a serve. He's not just a server. He's got some skills. He's got supreme personality that the tour needs. There's not the showman of McEnroe and Connors and Ely Nastasi back in the day. He's that guy. He would, he could be a, and the fans love him. The fans still love him even with all his antics that he goes through on the courts and off the courts. No doubt. I mean, and yes, he is more than just a server, like his, his ability to hit like reflex volleys and, yeah. and change direction with, with, with his forehand from the back of the court. He has incredibly soft hands, like his touch and feel, like he yeah. doesn't just blast the ball either. Like his ability to hit angled shots, yeah. handle hit, hit the ball with all sorts of spins. He has amazing feel for the game. And it's just, you know, it is a shame that he doesn't fully invest himself in the physical fitness part of the sport because he has top five level of talent. I mean, he has the talent to rival Nadal and Djokovic. Yeah. And if he only if he only dealt with the physical side, because you know Nadal and Djokovic, they are fully fit, or at least they put themselves through the ringer in terms of their conditioning, their stamina. You know, they're able to to hold up under you know, a withering assault from the other uh, side of the court. And that's what's turned them into, you know, 20, 22 time major champions. If only Kyrgios could look at that and say, Hey, if I want to be that kind of champion, I need to be the fittest athlete on the court. And he just, he doesn't care. And And, just mentally, he doesn't care what other people think about him. If he would just tighten up mentally a little bit, not saying you can't be charismatic and all that, but he just goes off the edges too quickly and too easily. He throws games, he'll throw sets, things like that, that the top players just don't do. Those are the things, if he could just tighten up, shrink the margin of those things happening, reduce that by 50%. Not, not even have to eliminate it completely. That's right. Reduce it by 50%, the amount of outbursts and antics, he would be a star, I mean, a global star because he's a, when you hear him talking after matches, he's very intelligent. He, he, he gives credit. He's not, you know, bombastic. He's very, you know, he just, he just, for whatever reason, during these matches, he just goes, he just snaps at times. And it's just a shame to watch sometimes when he melts down. Yeah. He just doesn't care about th- those things. And he just, he would rather just be totally free and unrestrained in his in terms of his personality that's what matters most. He just doesn't want to be inhibited in any way. That's that's his number one priority. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy, man. 
All right. Joey Chestnut won his 15th hot dog eating contest on the 4th of July, dropping 63 dogs. Which, Matt, if I put how, how many hot dogs could I put in front of you, Matt, and you could take care of business if you had to? Uh, let's just put it this way. I'm 46, so not nearly as many as I could when I was uh, 26. Let's put it that, <laughs> at that. Well, Matt, I appreciate it, man. Happy 4th of July week. You're going to, I know you're going to be you. doing all kinds of stuff, getting ready for training camp to start here in the college football world in about a month. Obviously, all this uh, other stuff uh, with all the conference li- li- uh, realignment going on. Matt Zemick's all over it. Give out the Twitter feed, Matt, to the audience as well and where they can find John Line with your work. Well, hey, just, you know, at Trojans Wire and on Twitter, that's just Trojans Wire uh, and our website, trojanswire.usatoday.com. Hey, you want realignment coverage? You want realignment analysis and perspective? Come to Trojans Wire. We're covering it 24-7. Oh, we've we've generated about 50 stories over the past uh, 48 hours or so, and we're going to continue to deliver lots of content, lots of insights on all the different realignment angles not just USC, not just the Big Ten, not just the Pac-12. We're covering all the different angles, such as like North Carolina and Duke maybe going to the Big Ten. Right. Oklahoma State going to the SEC. We're covering it all. We are your realignment headquarters here at Trojans Wire. And Matt does a great job. Once we get to the actual games on the field, we'll have definitely have Matt back on in the fall, breaking down stuff. You got new coach, you got a new coach in Oregon. You got, you know, the the big matchup in week one, Georgia, Oregon. You got uh Texas, Alabama coming up early in the year as well. So we'll definitely have Matt on as we approach the college football kickoff weekend, which is Labor Day weekend is the, is the for the for the most part for everybody. So great work, Matt. Keep it up. Appreciate the time, man. And have a great week. I always enjoy coming on the Powers on Sports podcast. Thank you, Jason. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Sports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.